Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to a Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. This is a special podcast. I'm doing this special podcast for Father's Day. And the reason I wanted to do this special podcast is because I didn't grow up in a home with a father for a while. So half of my life was spent without a father. I was in a single mother home. But then I had the man that I now call father come into my life and basically love my mother and love me. And I want to talk about the impact that he made uh, as a stepfather, adopting me as his real son, basically. And I want to share that with you. For this, though, I'm going to be calling my mother and asking my mother for the very first time to join us on this podcast, which she's never done before. And so I'm just going to give her a phone call, see if she's going to see if she can answer. Hopefully she answers the phone. I just talked to her a few minutes ago, but um, sometimes calling with this Skype number can be... Hey, Mama. It's hey. me. We are recording. So you are on Back to Jerusalem podcast live. I'm so happy that you're joining. This is the first time you've ever been with me on yeah. a podcast. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so I, I, the, the reason I'm talking to you is because, you know, I wanted to do this with, with dad, but, uh, at the moment he's doing what a lot of dads do on father's day, which he's working and he's, uh, right now he's putting in a full shift. Is he going to be working about 10 hours today or, or 12? How many hours will he put in today? 12 hours, 12 hours. So he'll work a Uh 12 hour shift. And how many, how many days a week will he work this week? How many days? Um, he works um, maybe three days on, four days off. Um, sometimes he does a seven-day stretch, and then he does a three-day off, and then he does uh, four days on, three days off. It's crazy where he works. Yeah, and I mean, he—I mean, he really does work hard to provide for his family. He always has. And uh, the reason I wanted to do this podcast, and, and I asked you to come and join us because he's not available today, and today is Father's Day, and I wanted to do this Father's Day special. And the reason why I thought it was important is that, you know, there's a big movement that's taking place in America right now, especially as we see with Black Lives Matter. And one of the big platforms that they have in Black Lives Matter is that they want to remove fathers from the home. They don't believe that fathers are important in the families. They believe that that is a traditional uh, family structure that is no longer necessary. But I disagree. And the reason why I'm glad that you joined us is because, you know, for much of my younger childhood, I can remember being with you in a single mother home where you were the main provider. You were the main parent. Um, I remember, you know, living in Muncie. 
uh, where we were alone. I remember moving to the Valley View apartments. I mean, you probably remember those days when we lived in Valley View. And, um, and you know, I didn't have a father during that time. And then you met the man that I currently call my dad. And he loved you. But not only did he love you, but he, he also brought myself and my sister, because there were two of us, in as his own kids and basically adopted us. And uh, at the time, I was about seven or eight years old. And, um, and, and so that was really exciting. I can remember as a child how excited I was to have a father. And I, and I want to ask you, um, you as a mother, can you imagine raising me as a teenage boy without, without a father? Absolutely not. Yeah. What, what, what do you think was, I mean, do you, what are some of the benefits, you know, of having uh, a, a father in the home for children? Well, I, I think that there should be um, two parents as a structure for a family because um, the, and I don't care to say this, but I think the woman is the weaker vessel. And what we cannot do, a man can do. And I just, I just think that if you take a man out of, out of the house with children, they become disobedient. They become disrespectful. I have seen it myself in uh, working places that does not have a father figure. And I, 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 I would, I would hate to imagine what that would be like today, um, about raising a child because you just cannot, you cannot do it. You cannot do it because I know the difference between being raised by a father and a mother because you have to have both hands in what, in raising a child, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, that, I, I would not want to imagine, I, I would not want to imagine my life growing up without a mother. I wouldn't want to imagine yeah. my life growing up without a father, but I can imagine growing up without a father because I did, I, I had a period of time where I didn't have a father. And that's why, you know, when my grandfather, your father passed away, it was a big deal for me because there were, there was a gap. Uh, for those listeners that are listening to this podcast, they, they probably don't know, but my dad, my real father died when I was about a year old in a tragic accident. So, uh, mom, you lost yeah, your, you your husband sure. when yeah. I was, when I was very little. And so there was a period yeah. of time where you were forced to be a single mother and you were a single mother for, for several years. How, how, yeah. how, how did you survive? Um, my mom and dad was very involved with, uh, you children and myself. And sometimes I listen to their, to their, um, um, I don't know, um, just remarks and, and, um, their understanding. And sometimes I didn't because I already thought I knew it all and I didn't. And I didn't, I didn't know everything until I met the dad you have now because I would have never went to church um, so I think he was appointed 
at some point knew that that was going to happen. Do you remember the first time we went to church as a family? Yes. When? Yes. I, I want to see if your memory is the same as mine. I'm sorry, what did you say? I said, when did we go to church as a family? When was the first time that we went to church as a family? I want to see if you remember the, 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 at the same time as I do. I, I, don't, I don't know what year it was, but um, you kids, um, I had all four of you at the time. I'm and, going to dis I'm um, going to disagree with you, Mom. I think that we went to church. I think you were either pregnant with Beth or you had already had Beth. We lived on Second Street, and yeah. I remember on a, I think it was a summer evening. Lauren Whitaker, do you remember him? Do what now? Do you remember Lauren Whitaker? Yes. Yes. Uh, Lauren Whitaker drove to our house one time. We worked on his farm. And I remember yeah. working and feeding his hogs and taking care of his hogs, you know, every day basically on his farm. And I did other work, you know. I was, I was probably eight or nine years old, I, I, maybe 10, something like that. We lived on 2nd Street. And, uh, and I remember uh, one day after work, he came by in his station wagon and picked us up. And I remember thinking, church, what's that? <laughs> and he took us all to church. And that was the first time I remember attending a service. That was pretty amazing. So I remember yes. that in my, yes. in my mind. I, I remember that. Now that you mentioned that, yes, I remember that now. Yes. And, uh, and that was a big deal because I remember when, when uh, you were pregnant with Beth, which is my second sister. So I have three younger sisters for the people that don't know. I have three younger sisters and... And you used to be a smoker, but when you had, when you were pregnant with Beth, I remember at that time you quit smoking and we went to church. <laughs> that was a big right. part of my memory. Right. And, um, and yep. I remember also, you know, we got two Doberman pick pinchers, uh, Buckus and Brandy. And, um, yeah. and we built up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm surprised you still remember that. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking because today is Father's Day and I was thinking about the role that the man that I call my dad today, he has a different last name than me, um, different blood than me. But yet he, when he came in, I remember the feeling of, you know, being in a single mother home. I remember not having a father. I remember going to school and not having a father, that feeling that the other kids, because during that time, it's probably more common today for kids to not yeah. have a father. It's probably a lot more common for yeah. parents to be divorced today. But during that time in the 1980s, it was not very common for, for kids to have divorced parents or not have one of their parents. So for me to come from a single mother family, and you know, I remember I walked to school every day from the Valley View Apartments to my classroom. So I would take that walk and I would go with my friends and, uh, and they had, you know, their friends and their, their mothers and their fathers. Um, and I didn't have a father. So I remember that, that odd feeling of being in a single mother home, not having a father. 
And I remember, yeah. you know, when I first, you know, there were times where you would date guys and they would come over to the apartment. And I remember as a little boy, and I, I don't think I've ever shared this with you, but as a little boy, I felt protective over you. So even though I was really little, I still felt protective. And there was something that I could perceive. Like I, even though I was young, I could perceive guys that were good and guys that were bad. And so when guys would yeah. come over with you that were not good guys, I perceived it. And I hated that feeling and I didn't like those guys. But I remember the very yeah. first time that I met the man that I call my dad today, that I just had a good feeling about him. He, he, had, a yeah. he had a genuine interest in me, you know, as his son. And so he took me out and well, play, we he played. Already, he already knew me. I didn't know him. He already knew me when I met him. And okay. um, my, um, my neighbor said, Cindy, would you like to go on a blind date this weekend? I said, no, I don't <laughs> do blind dates. So the rest is history. Yeah, but I remember when he came over and, uh, you know, we, he, he played ball with me. I mean, he was kind of, a, he's only 14 years older than me. And so yeah. there, there, I think that there was a was, connection that, that we were quite close in age. Um, you had me when you were quite young. Um, I often, yeah. jo I, I often joke with people that I walked across the same graduation stage twice, uh, <laughs> uh, -uh. <laughs> once in your belly and then once myself. Uh, but yeah. bas basically, um, you know, I, so I grew up with young parents. I grew up in a young family and it was all, it was, you know, there was, there was quite, it was odd. And, uh, but I remember him as. A, as your boyfriend and how I really loved being with him. And, you know, he enjoyed uh -huh. being with me, or at least that's how I felt. And then, um, and as he, you and he had children together, you had two daughters together, my two younger sisters. Um, yeah. He never treated me any different. So I remember that feeling as basically we were one family, even though he was yes. my stepfather, I never felt that there was any difference. Like the love yes. for me was strong and genuine. And that influence in my life was so extremely strong because, you know, I could have grown up in a different situation where I would have had influence of other people, individuals that yeah. may not have been a good influence, but I had a father figure in my life that, you know, for, um, you know, all of the things that, that took place, it was, he, he genuinely loved me and I felt that love and I felt like that well, you was know what, honey, God has a plan for every, everybody. And it's just up to them to listen. At the time I was unsure, um, because of the other situations, but I knew I was going to be with him forever. I knew that deep inside. I knew, I knew that, but, um, for not, I don't know. I just, I just knew that I knew, and, um, you know, we wasn't going to church at that time, but when he, when he came in and, and, um, connected with you kids and, um, done everything, he just like picked up for a man that did not ever have any children in his life. He took on the package and, um, I was proud of that. I know we've had our ups and downs like everybody else, but he has stuck, he has stuck with me through thick and thin.
and we've been married 38 years. 38 years. Um, let 38 me, years. Let me touch on a subject that might be a little bit more touchy. And if you don't feel like talking about it, you don't have to. I just want to ask you, because there was a period where you guys decided to split and get a divorce. And, um, and you will remember the, the emotional roller coaster that everybody went through. And, uh, during that time he had no, my stepdad had no legal right to myself or Jody or my sister. And, um, and I remember that even though you guys were getting a divorce that I really wanted to still stay connected with him. And I remember when uh, I would actually sneak away. I don't know if you remember this or not, yes. but I would I would sneak away from you guys and go and, and go and meet I him did. in secret. Not so later, but I did. Yes. <laughs> and so I would go and meet him in secret, and uh, I can remember my grandfather even tried to keep an eye on me, and I would I would ditch him, <laughs> and he wouldn't know where I was. And, no, it wasn't. My my grandfather, for those that are listening and don't know, my grandfather was legally blind. So um, for me to sneak yeah. away from him was not that difficult. For him to keep an eye on me, as it were, <laughs> was was not really possible <laughs> at a certain the, distance. That was the key word, yeah. Yes. That was the key word. And, uh, and I remember one time specifically... I was with him. I I was able to get away with him and I wanted to stay with him. And the police chased him down, pulled him over and removed me from that vehicle and brought me back to you. And I remember how heartbreaking that was. And so we went through a period. Do you remember how long that period of time was? Mom, did you hear that? Yes. How how, no, long, I didn't. How, uh, how long was that separation period? Do you remember? Three months. Three months. Okay, so it was three. It was. Three it, it, it felt longer. It felt longer because we were going through school at the time. We were still in school. Um, we had lived with my grandparents for an, for a bit Actually, of time. Actually, you may not remember this. You may not remember this. I swear to God. Father's Day, we got back together. Because his sister came to me and asked me, Cindy, if you could just, I know it's not um, Tim's weekend to come and visit them because he got weekend rights to the, um, his girls. Well, um, he, she said, I'll never forget, she said, if you could just, she was at the laundromat, and she said, if you could just, See it in your heart to let Tim see the kids this Father's Day weekend. Would you do it? So I said, yes. I said, I'll let him see them. So I took him down. I took you guys down there in the car. And so he started talking to me because I was not going to let him have you for the weekend. So we started talking and then, you know, what happened after that, you know, um, um, yeah, the rest is history. I mean, because so, you, you had already started a new life, basically. Um, we had, we had, uh, a, you had, um, moved us into another home. So we, we left the, yeah. the house there on commercial street. We moved in with my grandparents. And then from there we moved to, was it Franklin? No, 
Elm Street. Elm Street. Sorry. Yes, it was Elm Street. So we moved to Elm Street. And uh, uh-huh. there, there on Elm Street, uh, when we moved in, um, I can remember that feeling of basically being, I, I, I was a teenager. I, I kind of felt like I was the man of the house because I was in a home full of women. And, um, and there, I was getting to an age, you might not have felt this way, but I felt like I was getting to an age where there wasn't too much that you could do to control me. And so right. I, I, I think that it, right. if we would have continued on without a father in the home, I, you know, who knows what kind of mischief I would have found myself in. Yes, but you also, you also had the faith because I remember Brian Sands saying he stood up in our church and he said, any prayer request, the, um, the pastor of that church, and he said, any prayer, prayer request, and you stood up in that church and said, I pray that God puts my mom and dad back together again. And that was, I believe that was in April or May, maybe of that year. And, um, and then, uh, after that, but it was, it was just the faith that you had at that age and you stood up in a church that you did not, was not really familiar with because of that faith. And that's what, and I did not know that until much later that Brian, Brian had told grandma and grandpa about it afterwards. And for those that are listening to this podcast, Brian was a neighbor to my grandparents. So he and I became very close friends during this separation period. So during the divorce, uh, we, you know, he started to listen to some of the, the thoughts that I had, the challenges that I had, the emotional roller coaster that I was going through. And, uh, and it was, it was not an easy time for anybody. Like I said, the police were involved at one point. I don't know, mom, if you remember this or not, but dad would like try to come over to grandma and grandpa's to see us. And grandpa would chase him away with a gun. So grandpa would pull out his shotgun and, you know, threaten him and, and threaten to shoot him. And so it was, it was a pretty intense situation. Yes. Because he was um, at that while I left him, he was verbally abusive to me, and he never after that after we got back together, he never he never once ever ever done those those things again with with the goodness of God Himself because he knew how I felt about that and whether it's verbal abuse or physical. Physical abuse, it takes time to get over. Uh, Mom, let me ask you this. When you were a single mother, what were some of the challenges? Because you were a single mother for a while of two children, and during the time that you were getting a divorce and were in the separation, you were a single mother of four children. Uh, What were some of the challenges? What were some of the challenges? Yes. Um, Because I know it wasn't easy. I know that it wasn't easy. Yeah, I know that so we had, I know that, you know, it was not, I mean, as with four kids, it was not easy for you to get a job or work. That's why, you know, grandma and grandpa played such a major role in, in helping and, and yeah. assisting. Yeah. I remembered, 
I remember that they they bought their very first minivan during the time that you were getting the situation the the divorce just because they we couldn't all fit into one car anymore. So they went and got a minivan. Um <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah. I, I remember, you know, when before you met the man that I call my father today, we lived in the Valley View apartments. Those are like government assistance type of apartments. Uh, we right. were on welfare, food stamps, uh, WIC vouchers, uh, you know, all of everything that comes with government welfare. Basically, we were on. I mean, I remember being very ashamed of it. You, you will remember, you know, me hiding in the passenger side seat or. I didn't want to be at the grocery store when you were using, um, you know, the food stamps. Uh, I was afraid people would see yeah. us. Well, uh, I didn't. I, 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 I mean, I had four children. I didn't have any pride left. No, you, I know. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, you know that, uh, you know now anyway, you didn't know then, but you know now uh, because yeah. of our financial situation, I was given free lunch at school every day, but I would not accept it. Yeah. So I went hungry every yeah. day. Because I did not want to get into the line for free because the kids that had to go for free lunch had to stand in a special line. And everybody knew that those were the poor kids. And I just, I didn't want that stigma on me. So I would hide and I would just, people would ask me, why aren't you eating lunch? And I'd say, I'm just not hungry today. And that's what I said every day. Said that every day and I went without eating every day. Um, So I know it wasn't easy on you. So I never told you these things. And I worked, you know, I, I worked from the time that I could do anything with my hands, whether it was mowing yards, raking leaves, delivering newspapers, working at the grocery store, uh, anything that I could do to make money, I did uh, from the time that yeah. I, was, I was pretty young. But yeah, I did. know that it was challenging for you, you know, being, what was, what, but what was the most challenging part? What, what can you remember of those days? I know that those days are a long way away, you know, they're, they're, you, I know that you've made mem- many memories since those days, but uh, what stands out in your mind as being the, the, the biggest challenge? Well, it was because I could, today, not many parents can say they can stay home with their children. And I, I thought to myself, if I get this help, then I can stay home with my children, but still have a part-time job when you kids got old enough to um, what I thought being a home by yourself, not by yourself, but after you got off the bus at school. And, um, but I would still worry about you guys when I would go to, you know, from the time I was at home till the time I went to work, I would still worry, okay, well, are they going to um, come home safely and be there safely? But I found out later that it was a vacation for you guys because, yeah, but um, because of the things that you've done and found out 20 years later what you've done. So... Um, but yeah, um, that was, that was about the only challenge, but yet it wasn't a challenge because I knew later that I would just feel blessed because the economy was not going to get any better. And, but I would still feel blessed because I had a job, but yet on the other hand, I would 
be there for my kids all day until it was time, almost time for you kids to come home from school. And you, so, you wanted that, right? You wanted to be home for I your wanted, kids. I wanted to be home. And because I don't ever remember, well, I do, but I don't, I don't ever remember my mom done ironings. She, um, she worked until me and my brother got in school. And that's just, that's, that's just the scenario, I guess, that I want to carry on. But in today's society, that's a blessing for a parent to be at home that, that does not have to work and they're okay. I do mean, you, I do didn't, you think have, it would have didn't been, have a lot of money. Do you think we it would have been have possible? Yeah. Do you I'm think sorry? it would have been, do you think it would have been possible for you to be home when we got home or before we left for school, do you think that it would have been possible for you to do what you wanted to do, what you dreamed to do, which is to be home with your children? Would that have been possible, do you think, if, if you had not been married to dad? No. Oh, no. No. Uh-uh. No, because I would have to have a work a full-time job. I mean, I would have to be out there probably from sunup to sundown to work. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, I mean, to a lot of parents, that's okay, I guess, with they make money and that's what they, that's what they want to do, but they, they've lost their children's attitude. They've lost their children's um, respect. They don't know where their children are. I always knew where your children were. And if not, <laughs> you thought, you uh, thought you knew where we were. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> you may yeah. not have known where I was. And, I was, yeah. I was probably your uh, most okay, difficult yeah. child in that way. I, I went to many places and did many things that you were not aware of until much later in life. Yeah, I know, but I knew. <laughs> yeah, you were home by dark when you were young. Uh, yeah, but I was not always home during dark when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, when the when the uh, lights went out or the the um, lightning bug started uh, blinking, your butt there be home. Yeah, and so I would come <laughs> yeah. home, I would make you feel better, I would go to bed, and then I would sneak out the window. Yes, yes, <laughs> and the, I, yeah, uh, but I never thought my children done that, okay? <laughs> no, no. I was one of those mothers that did not think that their children done things like that. And that has been <laughs> one of the interesting characteristics about dad is that he was able to catch us doing things that you would have never caught I us know. doing. He, I mean, I know. you, you were pretty easy to, to head. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you were pretty easy to, to trick and fool. So we, I, yeah. you know, there were things that we could get over on you very easily, but dad just had like a, 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 a sixth sense where he could sense that we were up to something no yeah. good. And uh, he knew well, not only not, not only did he was he able to sense it, he was able to catch us. So he was. I remember yes. one time yes. he or he I, knew what you were doing before you got home. Yes, I remember one time yeah. uh, we were living out in the country in uh, Montpelier. So we were living out in the countryside in Montpelier, and jo my my one of my sisters did not come home. Jody did not come home. So uh, dad right away knew, and I think she was in junior high at the time. So like, let's say uh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, something like that. 
And uh, she, my, he knew right away, without a shadow of a doubt, that she was out with a boy. And I, even uh-huh. me, even me, I was like, I don't think she is. And he was like, I know she is. I'll, I'll, I'll teach you how to catch her. And that was the first time that I really remember seeing him in action on being able to catch somebody that was, uh, that, you know, that was sneaking around. And so what happened was we were driving uh, towards the school and uh, it was, you know, school had already let out maybe for over an hour ago or something. And, and dad saw one of Jody's friends walking along the street. So dad pulls up beside her and he says, uh, hey, do you know where Jody's at? And she said, no, I don't know where Jody's at. And dad said, yeah, okay, because I thought that she said something about being with Matt. And so I just wanted to let her know, you know, that we were going to be leaving and we needed for her to meet us somewhere else. And, and right away she said, oh yeah, she is with Matt. She's at Matt's house. He didn't know that. She didn't know that he didn't know that, but he tricked her. And right away, and we went, we went driving over to their house. And I remember I was in the truck and we were going to get this Matt guy. And uh, so he went to the front door and he said, you go around to the back because he'll try to sneak out the back. And I said, no, he won't. Dad said, watch him. And sure enough, as soon as I got around to the back door, here came Matt flying out the back door. And this is my sister's boyfriend. I chased him. I tackled him. Dad drove, almost hit him in the truck. And uh, oh I mean, God. it was, it was on this poor guy got the full court press from dad and brother for even thinking about talking to my sister. And, um, and I, there, there was another time you might remember this. So there was another time we had just moved to Eaton and we had just moved into a new house and you and dad were in a fight that night. And, um, uh, you had gone into the bedroom and you believe that you saw somebody there in the window. And so you came out and you told dad. And dad was able to sneak into the bedroom and pretend like he didn't know anything. And then pretend that he had left the room when he didn't. And he was able to reach under the bed. Correct me if I'm saying anything wrong. And he's because he always kept a nightstick under the bed like a billy club. Uh, which was usually like an axe handle or a shovel handle of some kind. And so he reached under uh-huh. the bed and he grabbed this club and watched this guy take the window screen out. And he waited for the guy to put his head in the window. And then dad swing, swung the, the, the axe handle and hit him and then chased him down the road in his underwear. And, uh, and I remember Jody and I were sleeping in sleeping bags on the floor because our stuff was still unpacked. We had just moved in to this house. Do you remember that? I don't remember that situation. No, I mean I remember, I remember moving um, at some point in that house, but I don't remember that that at all. That situation. That at is all. that is a huge. I need to be talking to Dad right now. How can Richard drove his truck? <laughs> Richard, you guys called the police. You guys called. Do you you remember living in Eden? Eden. Yes. Yes, I remember the house. Yeah, and do you remember, remember how long we were situation. there? Do what? Do you remember how long we were there? Um, probably, I don't know, probably shorter than six months, maybe. I think it was even shorter. I, know, than, like, I think it was shorter than that. Because of that event, I think that we moved. Yeah. Well, we moved, 
let's see. We moved back to Hartford, I believe. Yes, we did. And, and one of the, the reason why we moved is because of that break-in. The police came. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Mom, well, see, I don't, I, how, how do you not remember? This is a huge event in our lives. I, I, I don't know, honey. I don't know. <laughs> okay, well. I'm, uh, like in, I, I'm in my 60s. Okay? I don't <laughs> that's not that old, mother. Of, that's not that old. Anyway, I think one of the important things, because that's happened more than once. We've had people try to break into our home more than once. You you might remember when we lived uh, out in the country in, in Montpelier there on Woodlawn Drive, and uh, we had somebody that scared Jody, and you guys had to leave the house for a couple days, and then me, my Uncle Marion, my Uncle... Um, uh, uh, Rick. Rick was in the trees. Yep, and uh, and we set up booby traps around the yard. I was given a gun yes. and told to shoot. I, you know, we went to bed at night, and I was told if you see anything, break the shadow. If you see any shadows, walk past the window, shoot it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so here uh-huh. I am, yeah, I you know, a teenager, hanging on, you know, with a shotgun. We came home from church one night, and you thought that you saw somebody run out of the house and go into the cornfield. Do you remember that? Yes. And then dad yes. stopped the car and he basically just started shooting into the cornfield in every direction, hoping to hit somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> well, see, so, um, once again, that refers back to having two parents in the home. Yeah, no, I really, I think that, you know, the father being that protective figure, that person that provides yes. protection was such an yes. a, a, an element of safety, you know, in my childhood yes. growing up once you guys got married. Because I, the yes. reason I wanted to do this Father's Day special, Mom, and I, why I'm really happy that you're on with me is that I wanted to share about, because I'm one of the few people in this world that is lucky enough to know what it's like to not have a father and what it's like to have a father. I know the right. difference. And so I, I can have empathy for those kids who continue to grow up without a father. I was lucky enough to have a father to grow up with, uh, you know, in my yeah. teenage years. But I also kind of consider myself lucky because I also know what it's like to not have a father. So I know what it's like to have be without and I know what it's like to have. And I think that makes me more appreciative especially to be adopted by somebody that really didn't have to be a father. I mean, it's one thing for a man to have his natural children that he feels like he wants to take care of and protect and provide security over and to lead and guide and invest in in life. It's another thing to have somebody who is not your biological father and they didn't come in when I was a baby. But they came in when I was a young boy and took me under their wing as their own son and raised me as their own son. And I think that that is a very powerful testimony that I just wanted to share with people that listen to our podcast for this Father's Day special.
So I want to thank you, Mom, for joining us and, and sharing with us. Go and talk to Dad about the house in Eaton. I can't believe that you forgot that. That that was a huge event. I mean, we were all shaken up. I remember you guys called the police first, which was in Eaton. And Eaton is like, you know what, like 100 people if you count the pregnant women twice. It's a very small, it, I mean, they don't even have a stoplight in that town. It's a it's a yellow light. It's a caution light. So there's, they, it's, 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 they don't even have a gas, they don't even have a grocery store. It's like a gas station. And, um, yeah. and so well, the, the, I, the, the police yeah. station was not very I, uh, far. In fact, the poor, I, I put the poor man through, um, uh, some torment there for a while because he would walk up to that one, um, like quick stop store and get me lemons every night that he could because I craved lemons. I craved lemons when I was pregnant with you. And I craved lemons when I was pregnant with Beth. So <laughs> at two out of four children, <laughs> I craved lemons. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I put that, I put him through, uh, some torment there for a while. But well, yeah, that was part, that was part of our adventure there in Eaton, Indiana. Will you see him when he comes home tonight? I'm sorry? Will you see him after his 12-hour shift? Uh, no, I will be asleep. Okay. Well, <laughs> when, when you wake up the next morning and you see him, please let him know that I tried to call him for Father's Day and say Happy Father's Day and, and, say, and please send my love to him as well. Okay. I sure will, honey. All, All right. right. Love you, Mama. All Thanks right. for joining us. Bye. Thank you. Love you, too, honey. Bye. And that my mama, ladies and gentlemen, is the lady that raised me. And one of the things that I wanted to do on this Father's Day is point out the importance of fathers. If you are listening to this podcast, I want you to think of the biblical examples that we have of our Heavenly Father. The Father who is always there, good times and bad. The Father that listens to our prayers even when we think that He doesn't. The Father that has allowed us to be brought back into the family of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That His blood that was shed for us allows us to be, as His children, grafted into the vine. We may not be the natural sons of Abraham, but through the blood of Christ, we're able to be grafted into the vine. And I can identify with that concept a little bit in one way. Now, I know that it's not a completely perfect comparison, but being adopted, as it were, by my stepfather, in the absence of my real father, made such a huge impact on my life. And, and let me say this. There, are, there were a lot of stories that I can tell you about growing up that were not always great. My parents, like all parents, make mistakes. But here's the thing. I always knew that they loved me. And that was so important. I always knew that they wanted the best for me even if their actions were somehow, a, even if they did things that, that were hurtful to me, 
I could, I also knew in the back of my brain, no matter how much anger we had in those instances where things were happening in our family. We, I come from a very emotional family where people let you know. <laughs> it's funny when I married into my wife's family because they, there is a certain dialogue between them in, in my wife's family. My wife has never really heard anybody raise their voice. She didn't grow up in a family where people yelled at each other. She never grew up in a family where there was any violence at all. My family, I mean, it was, it, there would be straight knockout, drag out fights, yelling, screaming, name calling, scratching, pulling, punching, hitting, shoving, gun pulling. It, <laughs> it would, people let you know in my family how they feel. And it was very, it was, it was very easy to get caught up in those emotions. So, you know, I, I grew up a very emotional person in the way that if you made me mad, I let you know, I clenched my fist and I was ready to throw down. If you made me mad enough, if I had a gun nearby, that was an option. My wife changed that part of me. She let me know that that's not normal. That's not uh, typical behavior of a, of a grown adult. And I've changed since then. But what I always knew, what I always knew is the love of a father once I was kind of the adopted son. I wasn't legally adopted in any way. I was still my stepfather. But I loved him like a father and love him like a father, and he loves me as his son. And I think that this is one of the most powerful testimonies. that we. One of the things that I love about the Bible when we're reading through the Bible is that we see the generational call that God gives to his people. When God speaks and says, I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He's identifying himself as the God of generations. As a father, you have the power to change the course of your child's life for better or worse. You make decisions that impact your child for the rest of their life. That doesn't mean that, you know, if you make the right decisions, they'll turn out right. It doesn't mean that if you make the worst decisions, they'll turn out bad. At the end of the day, each child also has independent decisions that they can make themselves. They have free thought and free choice. God doesn't have grandchildren. But you as the father have the power to share your faith with your children that will impact them for the rest of their lives. To train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are older, they shall not depart from it. This is a calling that we have. It's a big calling that we have as fathers. So on this Father's Day, I want to say that I am thankful that I know what life is like with a father. And I am ever more thankful because I know what life was like without a father. I've been in both situations. I've seen my mother struggle. 
I didn't mention the other times that my mother was married and divorced. I didn't mention the other times that my mother had married men that were extremely abusive. Very abusive. Physically abusive. I've seen flower pots thrown at my mother's head. I've seen a sister who's been traumatized because a man that had come that had moved into our family that my mom was married to for a short amount of time held my sister's head underwater and tried to drown her in the bathtub. I can remember fleeing from a home in fear without a father because some ex-husband or ex-boyfriend was angry and trying to break into our home or trying to get to us. And who knows what they would have done had they gotten to us. I remember those snapshots of fear as a child, being without that protection of a father figure. And I also remember very clearly having that secure feeling that my dad's in the house. He will protect us. My dad's in the house. If the bad man is outside, my dad will keep us safe. Even if he couldn't, I didn't believe that as a child. As a child, I believed that he could. And there are certain components to our earthly fathers that we're able to understand more about our heavenly father. And the more I read in the Bible about my heavenly father, the more I'm able to transfer those ideas and characteristics to my own life to be to my son. Do I do it right? Absolutely not. I am a habitual failure as a father. I've done so many wrong things as a father. I've had so many opportunities to teach my children amazing uh, situations where they, they would learn, you know, to be truthful and honest and, and to, to have character that is able to, to go up against the pressures of the world. There are opportunities that I've had to train my children in uh, the, the ideals of Christ and I've, and I've missed those opportunities. I've squandered those opportunities. I've missed those opportunities. And then there are times where I've just been a bad example. I've just flat out done bad things in front of them, said bad things in front of them. There are times where I've been an example of what not to be. But the power of a father in a home is so absolutely detrimental. And, you know, this is not Mother's Day, so I'm not talking about the influence of a mother. Because almost for a, a child to grow up with a mother, it's, it's considered to be almost unheard of. And though it does happen, and it's tragic. It's so tragic. I think that balance of sweet and sour, <laughs> mercy and structure, Strength and love and nurturing. Protection and comfort. That, that yin and the yang of the mother and father being in the home doesn't always happen. I know. I grew up in that, in that environment. 
But when it doesn't happen, that doesn't mean the exception should become the rule. In my home, um, in, in my family, my sister uh, recently went through a divorce. And they, they went through a divorce the first time and they were able to work it out. And I was so happy that they were able to work it out. Because they have a child together. And that child, I feel, would be greatly... Whenever you look at more than 90% of prisoners who are in prison today are individuals who grew up without a father. The majority of high school dropouts are the result of individuals who grew up without a father. Whenever you look at the number of women who are involved in prostitution, this would th- th- this is so much can be traced back to not having a father. There is a, a brother uh, by the name of Arthur who, who said, I would recommend the listeners a book by Dr. James Dobson, Bringing Up Boys. Arthur, that is the number one book. That's the very first book that I read on fatherhood. That is by far my favorite book. When Dr. James Dobson talks about bringing up boys, he really talks about the influence that, that uh, what fa- why fathers are needed so much in the home, especially when bringing up boys. And it's so tragic when I see such a powerful movement in the West that's taking place right now, following in the footsteps of Mao Zedong, like Black Lives Matter. And on their website, it says that Father, let me see if I can pull this up without causing too many glitches in the system. Uh, because uh, right now, because I'm running this uh, broadcast on my laptop, it sometimes sucks up the, the bandwidth. So I'm going to try to see if I can pull this up from the Black Lives Matter website. It's on a page that's called What We Believe. I just pulled it up right now. And... It goes through the different things, and and a lot of their things just jump out at me right away, but it's important for you to see yourself what they say on Black Lives Matter because this, it says very, very clear. I'm going to read directly from their website. So it's blacklivesmatter.com forward slash what we believe. It says, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structural required requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Now, I want you to notice what's missing here. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. They're basically attacking the idea that a family have or a home have both mother and father. And when they go on to say, especially our children to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. What word is purposefully missing? Fathers. It goes on to say that we foster a queer affirming network. 
When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual. This is important to understand that this is a movement that Christians are supporting that de-emphasizes and not only de-emphasizes but attacks the role that fathers play in lives of their children. So from a personal standpoint, I, I wanted to call my mother she wasn't prepared for any of the stuff that I shared on this, on this podcast. She was driving, by the way. <laughs> she was driving to go pick up some medication. Um, she just, a couple days ago, she had just had uh, a, a, a spot on her face that was identified as skin cancer. So a couple days ago, she had just had skin cancer removed from her, her body. So it hasn't been confirmed whether it's all been removed or not. So I called her during this time. She wasn't prepared at all, but I wanted to talk with her because I wanted to share with you as an audience from a place that is very personal for me. A lot of listeners might be asking, you know, why is it that you keep bringing up this idea of fathers in the home? What does that have to do with China? What does that have to do with missions? And I circle back to that and I show what it has to do with China and I show what it has to do with missions. But I also, in this podcast, wanted to show how it impacts me personally. Someone who's been serving and working in China for 20 years. My makeup, my soul, my, 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 my character has, ha, has deposits that's been made into it for almost 45 years. And those deposits come out. So I, here I, I wanted to expose myself, make myself a little vulnerable to you as the audience in hopes that for this Father's Day, I can share a message from the bottom of my heart and say thank you for being a father. And if you're not a father, stop it. Or if, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you are a father, but you're not playing the role of father. If you have children that you are not taking care of. If you have children that you're not actively partaking in their life, shame on you. You need to take an active role in your children's life. They need to know that their dad loves them. They need to know that their dad protects them. They need to know that their dad is looking out for them. They need to know that their dad will lay down his life for them. That he will give his blood for their survival. That their life is more important than his. The Bible says the man that doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. And provision is more than just food on the table. You are called to be responsible to provide love, care, nurturing, protection. You as a man of God are also called to love and protect and honor their mother. As children, they should see you as the father providing and loving, 
caring for and honoring, exalting, serving the mother. There should, as, as head of the house, as, as a person that is leading the family, your life becomes the least valuable in that family. Meaning that if there is ever a choice between anyone in your family to give up their life, you are the first to go. You are the first to put your life as a speed bump, as a roadblock of anything that would try to cause them harm or snuff out their life. You are called to be their protector. And as a protector, if you can think of the Secret Service, the Secret Service's job in the United States is to protect the president at all costs. That if it comes down between the life of the president and your life, you lay down your life in the line of duty. You have been called to this duty to lay down your life for your family as Christ laid down his life for the church. He was an example to us as fathers. <clears throat> when, when your wife and your children look to your leadership as a father, <clears throat> they should not feel threatened. They should not feel fearful. They should not feel scared. They should feel protected. They should feel exalted. They should feel served. That they, are, they should be afforded the opportunity to have nice warm beds at night if it requires you to be out in the cold laboring to provide that for them. They should have nice warm meals before you do. They should have clothes on their back before you do. I love the example that we get in the officer corps of the United States Marine Corps. When we went to go eat, the officers, the leaders would eat last. It was a symbolism to show that the men are fed first. The troops are fed first. And the, what is left over will go to the leaders. That is the leadership that God has called us to. As He has sacrificed for us, we as fathers must sacrifice for our families. This I know that this is old-fashioned. I, I know that this is not acceptable in today's uh, world. I, I know that what I'm saying sounds barbaric. But the, the idea of serving women and children. The idea of the Titanic sinking women and children first is something that it, it, there, there is, a, there is a, a, an idea that is built off of Christian Judaic values that we as men of God must embrace. One of the most heartbreaking, heart-wrenching things that I see is when men, husbands, fathers, in the area that was attacked by ISIS, leave their wives, leave their families, leave their children. I saw it so many times 
over and over and over. I, don't, I can't tell you how many thousands of men left their wives and women and children, mothers, daughters, sons, and escaped to America and Europe and looked for new lives. Didn't plan to go back left their wives and their children to face ISIS alone, to cross the deserts looking for shelter by themselves, looking for provision by themselves, looking for their way to navigate to these refugee camps that were protected by other families, husbands, and fathers. Christian nations that sent their husbands, their fathers, to go and provide protection for someone else's family which many of those fathers gladly did. And today, there are fathers that I know that are on the front line because I spent Father's Days on the front lines in the Persian Gulf. As Christians, we inherit a heritage from our heavenly father, even if you don't get it from your earthly father, even if your earthly father was absent, even if your earthly father was a scumbag, doesn't matter. We inherit a character from our Heavenly Father that gives us an identity that puts us in a place to serve the church, the mission, the vision, and our families with our very lives. We have a mission as men. And when we do not take our place, the world will attack and let me tell you, they're not nice when they take over. The places where women and children suffer the most is where godly men don't exist. Go and see the misery index for women and children in Yemen, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Syria. Go and see the misery index for women and children in Cuba, North Korea, and China. When godly men are absent from protecting their families and providing for them, the enemy comes into the house and abuses those that are the most vulnerable in our society. You may not like that, this, this idea of protection can somehow say, oh, you're high and mighty, male chauvinism, sexism. Call it what you like. But my boys, when they grew up, whether you like it or not, and the concept is bi biblical, even though the actions may be arguable. So I'm not saying that the way that I taught my boys is the godly way, so I hope that you don't hear it that way, but... My boys were required and expected to open the door for their mother before she got into the car. My wife never got into the car when my boys were living at home without my, with, with, my wife never got into the car without them opening the door for her. If there were groceries to be carried, they carried them for her. Because I wanted them to know that their role as a man was to protect and provide. The problem comes when there is an abuse 
of the system, when there's an off balance of the way that God would have it be, when that position is not used for serving, but used to be served, when the leadership role is twisted, where those that are the most vulnerable in the families and the societies are being abused and put into a state of fear so that they provide for the leader instead of the leadership providing for the most vulnerable. The role that is supposed to be played is reversed and changed because the biblical balance is off. And there are many that are listening to this that do not like where this is going. You may not like the premise of this podcast, and for that I apologize. Kind of. Not really, right? Because I'm not, I'm not taking it back. So I guess that's a, that's a sucky apology. My bad. But I wanted to say Happy Father's Day to all of the fathers out there. And to allow you to know that the Bible commissions you as men to be a father to the fatherless. To stand up in the place where we see fathers are absent. We have way too many fathers absent in our society. I come from a predominantly black church. You can almost say all black church. Um, that's the church that I've been a part of for the last 25 years. Uh, there was myself and one other white guy that was a part of the church when I was at the church. And one of the things that I remember is the number of children that were in the church that did not have fathers. And I remember taking 16 young men out camping in the San Bernardino National Forest up in the mountains. And these, the majority, I'd say 90% of these kids did not have fathers. They'd never been camping before. And many of them had racial stereotypes that they put on themselves. For instance, I remember they were like, you know, they, they called me uh, Minister Z. They're like, Minister Z, we're black. We don't, sneak, we don't, we don't camp in the snow. <laughs> I was like, who told you that? They're like, hey, you, just don't, you don't see black people camping in the snow. And I was like, and? You're a man. We're going to camp in the snow. There was snow up in the mountains. So I took them camping in the snow. And they're like, well, freeze. I said, you're not going to freeze. Watch. I'll sleep in the snow outside the tent. I've always loved the snow. So I took these young guys up into the mountains. We camped out in the snow. We fished in the lakes and the rivers. We had an amazing time over the weekend. And I spent that time ministering into these young boys' lives. And it was a heartbreak. Because I could see hunger in their eyes for a father. They came and they stayed at my house for a couple nights. And we would get pizza and we would hang out. And then I would take them back to the church. And the mothers would come and pick them back up. And there's always been a part of me that felt like if I didn't leave for China, I would have been able to make more of an investment in those young men's lives. I remember one time when Francis Chan, a very well-known author and speaker, uh, came to Hong Kong and visited with our, my family. He spent some time with us in Hong Kong. So he, he came to Hong Kong and his wife was pregnant at the time and my wife took his wife bowling and, 
and um, uh, our board members were there for Back to Jerusalem, and we had this little meeting room, and there were about 10 of us all together, and so I uh, brought Francis in, and, and Francis Chan began to share with the board at that time, and I remember him saying, because at that moment, he was stepping down from his church, which is, was in a very wealthy area of California. And he said, I, I remember. And he said, I'm stepping down from my church. And the reason I'm stepping down from my church is I remember I was flying in over the LAX. And I remember looking down at the city below me. And I was thinking to myself, how many children are in this city? without fathers? How many children are growing up in communities without any father figures and the only leadership that they have to really look up to are the gangs and the young men are clinging to the leadership in these gangs because there's these alpha males and boys are a little bit like pack dogs. You may not agree with this. You you might think that there's no chemical difference between boys and girls, but there is. That's why I love Dr. James Dobson. Dr. James Dobson is, is a, he's an, a medical doctor that has worked with children for quite a while, and he can tell you about the chemical balance that takes place between girls and boys, even prepubescent. In the, in the prepubescent body, there are chemical differences between the way girls process information and boys process information just because of the, the presence of testosterone or estrogen in the system. And, and so he approaches it from, he approaches the situation from, so Arthur, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, but he approaches it from a medical standpoint. And I think that it's absolutely essential because when I work with boys, I see that the, I see their need for leadership. They crave it. And in the absence of it, there can be real problems. That's why we see so many criminals, males, that are in prison today, more than 90%. That's not just a correlation, that's a causation. More than 90% of prisoners grew up in fatherless homes. The majority of gang violence that we see on the streets are from young men without fathers in the home. And Francis was sharing that flying over L.A., he, he, he looked down upon the city and he was thinking, you know, the place where I'm at, that we have fathers in the home. We have influence that is positive for the families. And therefore, these are safer communities. These are more wealthy communities. These are communities that have better education. These are, education, these are areas that, have, that, that you can see a, a completely different environment. Groups like Black Lives Matter want to point to everything else except for fathers in the home. The very thing that is absolutely essential for the future of children is the very thing that they're attacking. And the enemy knows this. And so Francis said, I, I really feel that I need to step down from the church that is in this wealthy area, that is in this area with so many fathers and serve in a place like the inner cities of L.A. where there's broken homes, high divorce rates, children being born out of wedlock, abortions taking place left and right because of premarital sex and 
fathers that are not married to their to their mothers, to the mothers of the children. Fathers that don't want to have any responsibility with their children at all. This is already a much longer podcast for Father's Day than I wanted it to be. We're already over the hour mark and I should cut it there. But I just, I, I want to take this one step further and say that my wife was pregnant before we got married. Yes, we were engaged, but we were not married before we knew each other, as the Bible says, Joseph knew Mary. (laughs) This was a sin. This was a failure. This was a failure on my part as someone who should have taken the leadership role, as someone who should have been the brakes and provided that feeling of safety, provided that, that, that leadership role that God is at the head and we will walk in his footsteps. And I failed in that. And I remember very clearly being on base, going to evening classes. Um, I was attending uh, Central Texas College evening courses with a professor there and uh, I, those were the days before mobile phones. So my wife called the base and said that she needed me to come home right away. It was an emergency. I had no clue what was happening, but I can tell you this. I skipped that class right away. I drove my, I had a 1995 Camaro. And I rode that thing to, on the rails like as fast as it would go. If I had that, those gears screaming. And I remember walking in through the door, seeing my wife now of almost 22 years in tears. She had been planning for the wedding and she already had her kind of her bouquet or something, you know, that you would have for the wedding. I don't know. I, I don't know wedding phrases or items that, you know, are used for weddings. <clears throat> But I can tell you that she had basically been just plucking the fake flowers on that thing that she had already bought for the wedding that was supposed to take place that same year in Sweden. And she basically felt her life was over. She was the daughter of a missionary family. She was a Christian. She, was, she graduated from a Christian school, from an Assemblies of a God school. She came from a Christian family where her aunts, her uncles, her grandparents, everybody was, they weren't just Christians, they were active in the church. They played roles of leadership in the church. This was a scandal. And she was the good girl. And I remember walking in and she was looking at me like, this is the end. And I, I knew that we did wrong. And I remember looking at her and I, and I told her, we sinned and we will repent and we will ask for forgiveness. But this is a child. One of the greatest gifts that God could ever give. We're going to get dressed. 
we're going to wash off our tears. And we're going to go and celebrate. Not celebrate the sin. We broke covenant with God by coming together before we were married. And I own that sin. And I make no excuses for it. I did what God did not want me to do. But we're going to celebrate the life of this child. We're going to get married. I'm going to take care of you because I love you. I'd already proposed. I already knew that I loved her from the first day I met her. I always tell her my greatest regret in life is that I didn't marry you sooner. I, I wish I would have met you earlier in life so that I could have spent more of my life with you. I met my wife when I was 21 and married her when I was 21. But if I could have met her earlier, I would have. If I could have married her earlier, I would have. I would have married her as, as early as the law would have allowed me to. And we got married with her pregnant. It was a Vegas wedding. So we got married in Vegas. And being a father has been one of the greatest gifts that I've ever known. So if you are in a position where you have gotten, you, you have had premarital sex with somebody and you're not married and they're pregnant, I'm not saying that marrying them is a solution, but it is your responsibility as the father to provide for the child and the mother, regardless of what that, what that entails. Regardless of what that entails you missing out on. Your life is no longer your own once you become a father, once you become married. Your, wife, your life belongs to your family. Your goals are no longer personal ambitions. They are now ambitions to build up and bless your family. And it doesn't matter how many hours you have to work. It doesn't matter what you have to go through. It doesn't matter what you have to live without. It doesn't matter what you have to sacrifice. Count it all blessing. Because every deposit that you give of yourself to your family is what God has required you to do. Our societies would be much better places if we all took on the role of a father as laid out in the Bible. For all of you fathers that are taking care of your families, for all of you fathers that are looking after your children, for all of you, fa you fathers that have already sacrificed and are sacrificing for your families, happy Father's Day. And may God continue to strengthen you enrich you and bless you. May you find blessing, not in the things of this world, but in the lives of your family. I love what Billy Humphrey says. Pastor Billy Humphrey from uh, the International House of Prayer said this, what do I do in free time? I family. <laughs> 
That's, that's my hobby. That's what I do. That's my joy in life. I family. I want to say happy Father's Day to all of you. And if you're listening to this podcast and you have a father that has done so much for you, that has sacrificed for you, that has given to you, give him a call. Tell him that you appreciate them. Tell him that you love them. Tell them that their love, their sacrifice, their devotion has not gone unnoticed, even if it's not Father's Day. Thank you so much for downloading this Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you.